are spiritually driven aversions to meat based on what we learned about meat not being food is the flip side to an addiction. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. Grab a cup of coffee and join Colleen Tinker and Nikki Stevenson as they discuss their life after Adventism. Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Colleen Tinker. And I'm Nikki Stevenson. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. This is the week that we welcome 2022. Last year, we hoped that 2021 would be a reset for all of us after the shock of 2020. (laughs) But as we approach 2022, I am seeing that I can't count on a new year to be a new beginning as much as perhaps a year of renewed commitment to trusting the Lord. Mm -hmm. Now, most people face a new year and make resolutions to do things in the coming months that they might have put off. And how often do those commitments involve a new resolve to eat right, exercise, and lose weight? (laughs) For me, in fact, the new year often brings the health message to mind. So today, Nikki and I are going to reflect on living inside the health message during our Adventist years, and we're going to talk about how we've had to learn to undo much of the mindset that we had toward it. But before we start, just remember that we love your stories and your questions. Please email us at formeradventist at gmail.com and go to proclamationmagazine.com to sign up for our weekly proclamation email magazine containing links to our online articles, magazines, and to this podcast, as well as our YouTube channel. We thank you for your five-star reviews of this podcast wherever you listen, and please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And as we end this year, please consider making a gift to Life Assurance Ministries using the Donate tab at proclamationmagazine.com. Also, plan now to attend our 2022 FAF conference, which will be held February 18 through 20 in Loma Linda, California. We're taking registrations for both online and in-person attendance, and links to the details are also found on the website. Now, Nikki, <laughs> I have my question for you. Okay. When you were an Adventist, how did the health message affect your life? Not a small question No, it's not a small question. How much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) As much as you have. (laughs) I didn't grow up in a really conservative Adventist home. And so the impact that Ellen White had on our eating lifestyle was definitely present. But I wasn't taught all of the reasons, the spiritual purposes for any of it growing up. So in my father's home, I lived there for a time up until the age of nine. And I remember eating meat there, but it was only the clean meat. And then I moved in with my mom at the age of nine and stayed with her during my really uh, memorable formative years up until 19. And she was vegetarian and had a a lot of food aversions, but not a practicing Adventist during those years. I had some stints in Adventist school and was definitely exposed to veggie meat. My grandfather worked for Worthington Foods, and he stocked the shelves of New England with Worthington Foods and would bring home the dented cans for us. (laughs) And so we'd choose from that. I was definitely an Adventist in my eating lifestyle. But for me, it was more about the aversion to animal flesh. I thought of it not as food, but as roadkill. 
What was interesting is even though I wasn't taught all of the spiritual components and reasons and Ellen White quotes behind it, I was living in the fruit of the generations before me that had been taught those things. And so my lifestyle and my reactions to food manifested the Adventist culture. Sure. And I didn't always know that that's where it came from. Oh, that's so that interesting. Sense. Absolutely makes sense. It's interesting to hear you say, for you, meat was like roadkill, but the spiritual implications were sort of missing from your experience. Mm-hmm. And I would probably say that my upbringing was the opposite of that. I really did understand that Ellen White counseled against meat eating. I didn't understand until later in my life how fully she did. I didn't understand until later, and I read her for myself when I realized that she said that butter and eggs would keep your prayers from ascending to heaven. If you fed your children butter and eggs, your prayers wouldn't get to God. (laughs) That eating meat would inflame the animal passions. I did hear that as a child. I also heard that anybody preparing to meet the Lord could not be translated without seeing death if they were eating meat. And I learned very thoroughly that eating meat would would cause cancer. Wow. But at the same time, I understood that the clean meats were not sin, although I would have considered anything pig and anything scavenging to be a sin, like scavengers in the ocean. So I thought of that as sin. But I had this horrible fear of meat. And the interesting thing was that I actually did eat meat once in a while because my mother had grown up eating meat Mm -hmm. and my father had too. And while he wanted a vegetarian household, my mother did a pretty good job of trying to make a vegetarian household. I actually had a taste for meat because of the few times that I'd had it. I liked it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think of it as roadkill. I thought of it as food, kind of like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was good to eat. It was beautiful. It was smelled good. It tasted good. It had a good feeling in the mouth. That, what do they call that? That umame taste that they say, you know, vegetables don't have. And it's that undefinable flavor that comes from meat. Mm. I liked that, but it was scary because it was dangerous and it might kill me. I had this confusion in my head. So it was the opposite of you. Yeah. It was good for food, like the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but it would probably kill me if I ate it. So I was... What a burden. It was. So every time I had roast turkey at Thanksgiving when the relatives were there, I would be consumed with guilt and begging God to forgive me and begging God to keep me ever from doing that again. And the next time I smelled the roast turkey or whatever was somewhere where they served it, it was just too enticing. Yeah. What a temptation. It was. Now, I would have been very jealous of you because... Like I said, my mother wasn't a practicing Adventist, but she was disgusted by meat. So a lot of my life, I had people in my life who were not Adventist. I was in public schools, a lot of them, uh-huh. and I had a lot of friends outside of those circles. And so nothing in my life required me to explain my religion oh. like my eating did. Whenever we'd go anywhere, go out to eat, or my friends would have me over for a meal and they'd have to tell their parents, you know, she doesn't eat meat. Well, why doesn't she eat meat? I don't know. Maybe it wasn't as popular in the 90s to not well, eat meat. I don't actually know, but people were baffled. Why doesn't she eat meat? And the answer, well, she's Seventh-day Adventist. Well, what's that? Uh-huh. Well, it's against her religion. What? Yeah. And so I'm constantly <laughs> having to explain my background based yes. on my eating, never about Jesus. Oh, of course we didn't, not. We didn't keep Sabbath 
in oh, my mom's home. Interesting. None of that was necessary oh, or important. Nikki, that's so interesting. But my eating was what defined me and separated me from even my Baptist friends, my Christian friends. Well, if that doesn't prove what the food laws were to do for Israel, nothing does. Yeah. You know, and as we were preparing for this podcast, I was thinking through, I know we've talked about this before because, you know, to be quite honest, I don't know anything that is so pervasive in people who come out of Adventism besides what do you do with the Sabbath as the food question because it is a central definer. Mm-hmm. I realized that we were taught, I was taught for sure, very carefully, the food laws were given to Israel for health reasons. That's what I was taught. Because there is plenty of things in the Bible that show Israel ate meat, that God clearly gave them the clean foods to eat. And I was taught that the laws against pig and lobster and crustaceans were for health reasons, because clearly God allowed, you know, anything with a split hoof that chewed the cud. And how do you explain that in a, in a religion that is primarily vegetarian, if not outright vegan? I grew up in an environment where it was advised not to eat any meat ever, using food laws from Israel, which allowed clean meat. Mm-hmm. So it was all explained to me that it was for health reasons, and that Ellen White said the day was going to come when all meat would be so diseased we shouldn't eat any of it, and that was the explanation for why now we're vegetarian, moving towards veganism. Got it. None of this was in the Bible, Mm -mm. and there is nothing in the Bible about health reasons for meat. In fact, if it had been health reasons, Jesus wouldn't have said in Mark 7 that nothing that you put in your mouth makes you unclean, and thus he mm-hmm. declared all foods clean. Mm-hmm. It can't be health reasons. It was purely to keep Israel separate from the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. That was why God had to give Peter that vision in Acts 10 of the sheet. He was supposed to go to a Gentile household, and he was supposed to eat food with them. You know, that makes me think, too, this is a good time to bring up the Daniel diet, because that is one of their platforms. You know, Daniel ate nothing but vegetables, and he was healthier than everybody else. But the king's table had unclean meat. And when Daniel asked to not have to eat that meat, and yet he flourished, he and his and his friends right. flourished, that was a miracle. That yes. wasn't like, oh yeah, if you only eat vegetables, you'll grow stronger and, and fatter. No. That was a miracle. That was an act of God that showed that his hand was on these people. In fact, later when Daniel was an older man and the 70 years of captivity were nearing an end, he was praying and confessing the sins of his people and asking God how long and when he would deliver them. In Daniel 10, starting with verse 2, Daniel writes, in those days, meaning in the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, at the end of the 70 years of captivity, in those days, I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. On the 24th day of the first month where I was by the bank of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, there was a certain man dressed in linen, whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uphaz. It's very clear that Daniel did eat meat. He abstained from it later in his life during a fast in which he was pleading with God and asking for God to show him the future of his people and to rescue them from captivity. 
that Daniel fast, quote unquote, in the first part of Daniel, when he and his friends were taken captive, when he begged not to eat of the king's table, it was exactly what you said. It was to show that these people were blessed by God and that they would not eat the unclean meat of the king's table. It wasn't about not eating meat. <laughs> he clearly ate meat and abstained from it for three weeks later in his life. The whole premise of the Daniel fast, whether it's done in an Adventist church or a not-Adventist church, that whole premise is unbiblical. Yeah, and in the Adventist church, of course, it's moralized. Somehow Daniel had the health message, but Jesus didn't. (laughs) Things really did not add up or make sense to me. And I, I think it wasn't until I was an adult and I met the man I would marry that I was introduced to some of the teachings connected to the health message. I remember that's when I learned about the butter on the table and the prayers. Wow. And that's when I learned about eating meat and not being translated. And that's when I started getting some cognitive dissonance. Not because I wanted to be able to eat meat and butter. Right. um, But it just didn't make sense alongside scripture. Right. And, And I did ask, well, what about Jesus? He ate fish. Because remember, the health message is no animal flesh. Right? right? Of course. I mean, that was how I was taught it. Yeah. And um, the answer was he didn't have the health message yet. Yeah, that's what I was told by it my mother It was a part of, part of him setting aside his divinity. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That again. Yeah. Yes, that again. So, it just didn't make sense. And then I remember having a conversation um, with my, I believe it was my father-in-law. It was somebody who worked in the Adventist ministry. He said that the reason that God gave Noah meat was because his plan was to shorten human life after the flood. And so he was going to shorten human life by giving them meat. And I remember thinking, so wait a minute, this is a workaround? Like we're we're working around God? And and I was told you if you eat like Adam and Eve in the garden, you'll live long like they did. Right. It felt very manipulative to me. It was almost embarrassing. Truly, it was embarrassing. And Nikki, that Noah thing, Mm -hmm. that really upsets me now. Nobody ever told me as an Adventist about Genesis 9, (laughs) where Noah gets off the ark, he sacrifices to the Lord, God makes a covenant with him and with the whole earth by sending a rainbow, saying he'll never flood the earth again. And then in Genesis 9, Starting with verse 1, this is what it says. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The same command he had given Adam. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground. And all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive, shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. He clearly gave, after the flood, every moving thing, and it's not connected with a shortened life. Oh, no, they knew this by secret knowledge, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this back to Eden idea... Is I grew up with that surrounding me. We're going to outsmart God. We're going to go back and eat just the diet God gave us. Well, I want to say, we are not in Eden. Something happened with the flood. Noah came off of that ark into a completely new environment. 
And God gave him what they needed to survive. We don't know what the earth was like before the flood. We can't think that if we eat just fruits, greens, and nuts, we're going to live long and prosper like we thought Adam and Eve should have if they hadn't sinned. And besides, who do we think we are thinking we can regain long life when God removed the tree of life after they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? How do we think we can reverse anything from that. It just is so illogical and it's so contrary to scripture, but it's moralized. And Colleen, you can't forget, they have the blue zones. <laughs> Tell us about the blue zones. Well, I just know it's a point of pride. It, it's an indication that they live longer than other people do. Yes. And, you know, I want to say if you have five or 10 years on most people, that is not the same thing as going back to Eden. <laughs> No, it is not. And you know, the interesting thing is that five or 10 extra years that Adventists claim they have because of their vegetarian lifestyle, Mormons have that same advantage and they eat meat. But the difference is, and this would be true in the population at large, the difference is if you don't smoke and if you don't drink to excess, Mm -hmm. it's not whether or not you eat meat, it's how much carcinogen you're putting into your body. Yeah, and I think that's an important point because I think sometimes we come out of this vegetarian lifestyle and then we go out and we indulge. And so we're not saying that there isn't a healthy way to live. That's right. The Bible speaks very clearly about gluttony and not getting drunk with too much wine and taking care of yourself. Yes. This is not the same thing as what Ellen White taught And no matter how you take the Adventist vegetarian lifestyle and remove the moral statements from it, it's all born from the same source. It's all born from a false prophet. And it makes me think of the verse in scripture that talks about the doctrines of demons, which deny certain foods. That's a really good point. This is from 1 Timothy 4, beginning with verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is so interesting to me, because Paul explicitly mentions two ascetic practices Mm -hmm. that are common in the Christian world today if you consider all the religions, Mm -hmm. forbidding marriage and abstinence from foods that God created to be received. Now, who forbids marriage and in what context? There is a big picture Christian religion. Well, those who are in the service in the Catholic Church, the priests and the nuns, they're do forbidden forbid to marriage. Marry. Yeah. It's not the people who are forbidden to marry, but it is the priests and the nuns. That's forbidding marriage. And Adventism forbids foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving. It's as if God knew there would be the Catholic heresies and the Adventist heresies and even the Mormon heresies against caffeine and wine. He knew He knew the heresies that were coming, and He named some of the most compelling ones. 
Yeah. And, you know, I remember reading that actually as an Adventist and thinking, oh, that's not about us because we don't forbid marriage. But you can't miss the point. The point here at the end in verse four, everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. The point isn't, does your cult fit all of these things? The point is, are you depriving yourself of things, claiming it's a moral requirement of God when it isn't. That's the point. When Jesus said, I'm going to read what it was he said. This is in Mark 7, beginning with 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared, all foods clean. Nikki, the law did forbid certain foods as Mm -hmm. ritually unclean. But Jesus is here before his death teaching his disciples that intrinsically food is not clean or unclean, and we are not clean or unclean because of eating. Mm -hmm. Those were ritual requirements, and he's saying it's the heart It's what comes out of the heart. Foods are clean. So when you take those two verses together, that it's what enters the heart that makes you unclean, and then you look at this text that we just read out of Timothy that says that these teachings of abstaining from certain things are doctrines of demons, you realize, if you connect all the dots, that this false teaching, Ellen White's health message, this false teaching that says, if you eat butter, your prayers aren't heard. If you Mm. eat meat, you can't go to heaven. That's entering the heart, and that is making people unclean because it's putting something between people who believe it and the only person who saves. If any of you have not yet read Cheryl Granger's article on the Adventist health message from Where Does It Come, go to the spring 2015 issue of Proclamation Magazine online. You can get there by going to proclamationmagazine.com and you can find that article by actually entering it in the search engine there and it'll come up. Please read it. It's one of the most researched, carefully crafted articles on the Adventist health message that I have ever seen. And she shows that Ellen White's teachings did not originate in visions from God, but were ancient teachings that she borrowed from the common milieu of the day in the health conditioning clinics that were extant in this in the in the culture and not only that but this idea of vegetarianism was older than that and is a new age teaching that had been around since the desert fathers and before it was an ascetic practice that was designed to help people become more spiritual it's not new with ellen and the way that vegetarianism helped people become, quotes, spiritual was actually from protein deprivation. It would create a foggy mind and a sort of otherworldly feeling, a sort of brain fog condition that made people susceptible to impressions and messages from spirits, they thought. So, frankly, the Adventist health message 
is not new. It's very old, and it did not come from the Judeo-Christian tradition or from Scripture. It came from Eastern mysticism and ancient paganism. This is not something God gave. I didn't believe that eating meat was a moral issue, like I mentioned earlier. But after I became a believer, some interesting things started happening in my life. I don't know how to explain it. I don't know why it happened, but I started to have aversion to vegetarian meats. Oh, that's interesting. For the first time in my life, I was 30 when I left. And like I said, my grandfather worked for Worthington Foods. I had free access to it from a very young age and I loved veggie meat. I loved Mm -hmm. all of it. But I began to really dislike the taste of the meat and the texture. And it was really just repulsive. So I stopped eating veggie meats. Well, I also didn't like the texture of real meat. Mm -hmm. I had a really hard time with meat. Mm -hmm. And so I was going without a lot of protein. (laughs) And I would try to compensate with things like nuts and beans and milk. But you can only go so far with that. At the same time, my health was starting to deteriorate. I had an autoimmune disease that I learned later was exacerbated by prolonged consumption of processed soybean. Yep. It was starting to impact my um, hormone levels and my reproductive health. And I was just kind of sent into a spiral of health complications. And I had a very thorough doctor and he discovered all kinds of deficiencies in my blood work. And he would urge me over time to to eat meat. Yeah, And I'd tell him, oh, it's really hard. I'm trying. And I would eat here on Sundays. You'd offer it to me mm-hmm. and I would eat it. And Um, I learned how to do it, but I never learned how to make it my lifestyle. And it wasn't until this point in my life that I realized there was a moral component to my vegetarianism. I didn't think there was because I didn't believe all that weird Ellen White stuff. But the fact is, I didn't believe meat was food. Yes. For so long, when I would sit at the table disgusted with something that was put in front of me, it was as if I was turning my nose up at the clear teachings of scripture. Yes, And that in itself is a form of rebellion. I was letting myself remain sick and complicating my ability to mother, to be a friendly wife. Mm -hmm. I was actually allowing my life to pay the price for my vegetarianism. And my doctor told me one day, Nikki, you have to learn how to eat animal protein. I think he'd had it with me. Yeah. And I began to become more intentional about it, and I had to pray. I had to pray and ask God, help me to know this is food. And sometimes I'd say it over and over, Mm -hmm. this is food. The texture was difficult for Mm me. Um, It was a hard thing to overcome. And I know there are a lot of people who say, I don't have to eat meat to be a good Christian. And that's not what I'm saying. I'm sharing my story. I realized that I had not just an aversion to meat like some people do to Brussels sprouts. I did not believe that it should be for food at my core. And learning how to eat meat for me is probably like like a normal person learning that pencil erasers are food. I mean, it was that foreign. Oh, that was Richard's story. But I had to submit to what scripture told me, and I had to thank God for what he was giving me. And you know what? It didn't take long to start feeling so much better. And my gratitude went from obedience to genuine from the heart as I began to become more healthy. Yes. I so understand that. I've become convinced that our 
spiritually driven, even though it's covert, our spiritually driven aversions to meat based on what we learned about meat not being food is the flip side to an addiction. I mean, an addiction is something that you just can't quite help yourself. It takes spiritual intervention to overcome your penchant for whatever the addiction is. And an aversion is really the same thing in reverse. Mm -hmm. And Richard had the same problem. Many of you have heard his story. He also, like you, had to pray to know that it was food. He had to thank God for it. He had to ask God to help him eat it. Now he eats it regularly. When Richard received his diagnosis of prostate cancer a year ago, one of his biggest concerns was that Adventists who learned about it would think it was because he was eating meat. Mm. In fact, his mother would have said that had she still been alive, but she isn't. But he knew that that was not the case, and he has had to continue to thank God for being his provider and for providing him good food, and he has continued to eat meat. That, for me, was one of the big things. Like, for him, learning that meat was food, my equivalent was learning that meat was not the source of hidden disease. Mm -hmm. Not even the pig is a hidden source of disease. And, you know, Adventists love to say, oh, trichinosis. (laughs) You'll get trichinosis. You'll get little worms in your brain if you eat pork. Well, There's a lot of facts about that that are not told when Adventists are scared with that. Number one, if you have contaminated pork, which if you're in the United States, you you won't. (laughs) It's very carefully monitored. But if you have contaminated pork, if it's cooked fully, they will die. You won't get trichinosis. And secondly, there has been such a revolution in the farming of pigs that they have less fat than they used to. They've been actually bred for that. They are very carefully managed and their health is carefully controlled and you will not get infected meat on the market. So those are moot points at this point. Those are not issues of concern. And the reason God gave Israel the the laws against the unclean meats was because pigs were sacred animals in the pagan religions. They were sacrificed to pagan gods. That was kind of like the line in the sand. You may not eat the meat of the pagans. You have to be separate. You will eat the meat I tell you to eat because you're ritually pure. It did not have anything to do with general overall big picture health. It was about keeping separate from pagan worship. If you read the Bible in context, that will become very clear because what happened in Acts 10 when Peter had to take the gospel to Cornelius? God told him to kill and eat. Well, as an Adventist, I was taught in Adventist school that that vision was not about food. It was about people. Don't call any person that God has said is clean. Don't call any person unclean. But the fact is, God specifically asked Peter to kill and eat, and the sheet he lowered down to him from heaven in the vision was filled with all kinds of unclean animals, reptiles, and birds. And Peter wasn't going to do it. He says, I've never eaten anything unclean. And that was when God said, don't call anything the Lord has called clean, unclean. Well, remember when Jesus was on earth in Mark 7, he had declared all foods clean. Mm -hmm. And now he's sending his apostles out to Gentiles where they're going to actually share table fellowship with Gentiles. And that was not permitted in Israel. So they're going to have to eat Gentile food, 
Well, and we see that again in Romans 14. They were eating food offered to idols. And for some, it wasn't an issue. Right. They were eating in faith. For others, it was an issue. And we see Paul dealing with how to treat your brothers in these situations where one has a weaker faith than the other. Right. It even talks about the one who only eats vegetables. It does. Yeah. But it's important to remember that we who come out of a false gospel, a false form of Christianity with a false Jesus, it really does come down to the point of having to examine everything we do and submitting it to the Lord to be sure that we're not retaining idolatry. Mm-hmm. It's like giving up the Sabbath, which was part of our salvation component. Whether we want to admit it or not, as Adventists, food was part of our salvation component. It was, we have to keep the temple of the Holy Spirit holy and healthy so we can hear the Holy Spirit in the frontal neurons of our frontal lobes. That's not in the Bible. And to say Jesus ate meat because he didn't have the health message is to put Ellen White over Jesus. God the Son, incarnate in his resurrection body, served his disciples fish and ate fish to show them that he was real. He said, a spirit does not have flesh and bones. And he asked for food and they gave him fish. Resurrected Jesus. So, We cannot make the argument that he didn't have the health message. He was God. Now, one last aspect of this health message that I think we need to at least mention is that of obsessive exercise. (laughs) I mean, that's not just specific to Adventists, but it was really interesting. A week ago um, on our Zoom meeting with Friday Night FAF, we were looking at this passage in 1 Timothy that we've read, and I asked everybody present in the room and on Zoom, For how many of them had exercise been a really big part of their lives as Adventists? And almost everybody said, oh yes, huge. And it had been for me too. It's sort of interesting because within Adventism, even though it wasn't always overtly stated, there was a certain way of thinking that if you're eating right, if you're following the health message, not eating meat, eating all your vegetables, you're going to be thin and you need to be fit because this is what sells Adventism. Ellen White said that the health message was the right arm of the gospel. Can you think of anything that Adventists do more than set up health clinics, eating clinics, stop smoking clinics, blood pressure checks, teach you how to eat vegetarian, and they lure unsuspecting people into the religion through their promise of a better life with better health? They miss the gospel entirely. And I know that this point came home for me in a really profound and personal way when I had to have a knee replacement in 2019. That was not a fun procedure. I'm very thankful I did it because I can actually stand and walk without pain now. The pain leading up to it for the years prior to my surgery were increasingly debilitating. And as I was recuperating from that surgery, I remember thinking, I used to obsessively run five miles a day as a young woman. I was overtly anorexic before they really talked about that much, eating very few calories a day, running five miles a day with really bad shoes, not knowing I needed any kind of support. Just I knew I wanted to be thin. I didn't even do something I enjoyed doing. I was extremely unathletic. And here I was getting a knee replacement as if I'd spent my life doing sports. And it had all been for the sake of trying to be thin and healthy. And it was anything but healthy. Mm -hmm. And the moralizing of fit 
and slim and vegetarian is a myth and it's, it's a lie. That's not what makes us fit and healthy. And like you said, it's fascinating to me that when you became a believer, your health started to improve as you believed what the Bible said and ate the food that God had given you. Yeah. You know, before I did that, during that time frame where I didn't like veggie meat and I couldn't eat real meat, I became pre-diabetic because I was consuming so many carbs to get full and to have energy. If you look at the science, I mean, we don't have enough time to cover this topic, but if you look at the medical science and research, the Adventist health message is actually not healthy. Right. It actually isn't. It can hurt your health. And in fact, I believe you have a relative who lost her life. She was excruciatingly conscientious about her veganism as she aged, and she was diagnosed later in life with celiac disease. Now, nobody said the celiac disease was related to her vegetarianism and her huge consumption of gluten. It's a serious autoimmune disease, and it was a very severe case. As she tried to treat her celiac disease and maintain her veganism, she spent all her energy cooking her rice and her beans and her vegetables, but she wouldn't eat meat. And she once in a great while, if she became extremely weak and tired, she would eat an egg. But even that she did as a guilty semi-sin. And she actually became extremely malnourished and died of cardiac complications and other things. And Richard and I have believed for a long time that had she actually been nourished, she would have maintained her health longer and she would have lived longer. But she had a serious disease where you have to be very careful what you eat, but she didn't eat protein. And I believe there was somebody else that you knew who kept cutting her meals in half. Oh, that's right. Yes, because Ellen White said we should only be eating half of what we eat. And she was a young woman. And she kept cutting her meals in half and developed the signs of severe malnutrition, fluid retention in the legs, and various other things. And she actually became somewhat psychotic and ended up going into the mountains with her Sabbath school quarterly and her Bible and not coming back. And they found her in the middle of California summer, dead, with her Sabbath school quarterly under her head. And she she died. It's a really sad thing. So whether it's food disorders or disordered eating, it's kind of the end point if you take the health message seriously and to its full conclusion. I agree. We live in post-Eden. We live post-flood. And God has given us everything that moves for food. And our job is not to question God, but to be thankful. I've also had to come to terms with the fact that I have a certain genetic input that sort of shapes the way my body looks as I age. (laughs) Now, there's things I can do to be healthful and not give in to gluttony and not just give up in despair. But I have to also know that I can't be what I'm not created to be. And God designed me and chose for me. Sometimes I think, you know, I look at my sister and me, and we always looked very similar. But for some reason, God chose that she would be a brunette and I would have green eyes and blonde hair as a child. I mean, we were sisters. This is God's decision, not mine. So it's God's decision how we look and what our parents bequeath to us. It's up to us to be good stewards 
But our diets are not what make us spiritual. It's our trust in God that matters. And like you said, when we trust Him, He changes even our tastes. He changes even our obsessions and our compulsions. And as we trust Him with those things, He gives us a sense of living in truth and reality, which is governed and identified and determined by Him. He defines what's real, not the things in our heads from every source of authority. Yeah. So, as we reflect on the series we did previously, the 28 Fundamental Beliefs, and we remember how Ellen White has touched every aspect of our life, and we think about living now in this life after Adventism, we can't move forward without recognizing this area of life that has been touched by her false teaching, by her false gospel. And we have to pray and ask God that what comes into our heart is not unclean, but that we are faithful before Him and that we're trusting His Word and that He would remove the deceptions and the lies and the controls and the manipulations that came from our previous brainwashing so that we can live faithfully before Him. So as we walk into New Year's, Our prayer for each person who hears us is that God will plant you deeply in truth and reality and give you a trust in His Word, give you the new life that comes from trusting Jesus who died for your sins and rose again and know everything that you need for life and godliness is available right here in His Word and you can trust His Word. You don't have to try to figure it out. It means what it says and God does not trick you. And this New Year's, enjoy the life He has given you and thank Him for His provision. If you have questions or comments for us, write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Visit proclamationmagazine.com to read new online articles every week. Sign up there for emails that will deliver them right to your inbox each Friday. There's a donation tab there as well if you'd like to come alongside us and support us in our work. And please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And join us next week as we discuss life after Adventism in the family setting. And we'll see you then. 